looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back this week to another episode of Make Money, Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte, this week joined by my co-host, DJ Smith. This week's guest is Hayato. He is a, I'm going to say, a professional wholesaler. He really is because, you know, we only have professionals on the show. But he does 100 wholesale deals on average a year, which is awesome. So lots to unpack here. We kind of go, you know, from top to how he's bringing in these leads, who's bringing the leads for him how he breaks it down, how he gets the deal under contract, who he is assigning the deal to, and then a little bit about how much he's making. So really great episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you take something away. With that, let's bring our guest in. Hi, Auto. Welcome to the podcast. How are we doing today? Good, good. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast, guys. Yeah, definitely. Always glad to have you here. Um, So I've got DJ here with me. He's going to be my co-host and we're going to be talking about what you do, your company and all the wholesaling you guys have been doing. So uh, a buddy of mine introduced me to you and I looked up some of your content. DJ was doing the same thing. Pretty impressed with what you're doing. And we haven't had a wholesaler on here in a while. So if you don't mind just introducing yourself to our audience real quick and telling us about what you do. Yeah. Uh, my name is Hayato. I own a company called Rocket Offer, and we source off-market deals in the Midwest, so mainly in Cleveland, Ohio, Memphis, Tennessee, Detroit, Michigan, and St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and we do we currently do about 15 to 20 deals per month. Uh, we started about a year and nine months ago um, and kind of ramped up since then. Awesome. I like it. And so how did you get into the world of wholesaling? A lot of people, when they get, get into real estate, they're thinking about buying a duplex, buying a single family, you know, trying to renovate it or rent it out or whatever. But wholesaling is definitely a different route because you're really not owning the real estate. You're really assigning the contract for real estate, which by all means, I'm not trying to play that down. That's a lot of work and it's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a big job. So tell us how you got into the world of wholesaling. Yeah, sure. So initially, when I first started uh, about a year and nine months ago, um, my roommate at that time, Antoine, he had a turnkey company. And so we're looking, you know, I was there, I saw how real estate worked. um, And I always wanted to get into the real estate industry as well. And so I was doing a lot of other things I was doing, you know, some flipping on the side on eBay, I was doing some drop shipping, I was doing, um, some digital marketing agencies and stuff like that. So I, was, I wasn't even in the real estate industry then. I just knew I wanted to get into the real estate. Um, and so I saw his success in real estate. And so I was like, okay, that's something that I want to get into. I started looking at homes near California and LA where I lived. And I was like, dude, this is insane. Like <laughs> properties here are $750,000 at a minimum. And you can't find anything under that. And so it's really, really tough to even... And then we ran the numbers and it's like, you can't even cash flow. Um, so you're really banking on the appreciation. So it was a little bit scary for me. And I, I didn't have the money to invest, even if I wanted to here in California. And so we started looking around and I knew he had a turnkey company that operated in the Midwest. And the properties there are anywhere you know between like 50K all the way to like 150K. And that's way more doable, especially just putting 20% down. You only need about like 20K to start getting 
into real estate. And so I was like, okay, the Midwest is great. It cash flow is amazing. It also appreciates as well. So the numbers make a lot of sense. And so that's when I started getting into more into the real estate space. Um, and then I asked him like, hey, what's the toughest part about your company? And he was like, hey, everyone's trying to look for deals. It's always tough to find a really good deal. And uh, he was also saying a lot of the wholesalers that he works with aren't as reputable or they're kind of tough to work with because they won't tell you um, everything in transparency. And so we're like, okay, let's start a wholesale company and we can go and do it better than everyone else. And so that's when the idea sparked up. And in December, 2019, I was still working a W2 corporate job back then. Um, and then we started wholesaling properties. I had no idea how to even get started. I, we just really jumped in. And then within the first, you know, two months or so, uh, we got our very first deal under contract and we're like, okay, this thing works. Uh, I quit my job in January of 2020. Um, and then from there, obviously the pandemic hit in March and we're like, damn, what's going to happen? I have no clue what's going to happen in the real estate industry. Uh, and, you know, I was kind of nervous because I've already quit my job at that point. But then because we are doing everything virtually anyway, and we were doing everything virtually from California and we're operating in the Midwest, all our systems and processes were already in place to take care of doing everything virtually, uh, which we had to do because of COVID. And so it actually kind of played to our advantage. And from there, uh, we're now up to a place where we're doing, you know, 15 to 20 deals. And hopefully we're going to continue expanding and growing the company from there. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about your market selection, and you actually, I think, answered that question. So you're really looking at what sounds like uh, areas with more affordable housing mm -hmm. that helps control, I guess, some of the analysis. We certainly know what's going on in California and the high yeah. cost of homes out there and everything like that. So you guys decided to take this approach. You're doing it virtually. How, what's your process then for how you guys go about locating properties? Are there, there are you targeting foreclosures? Like what's your, your edge there on, uh, because I think for, for me, I tried the single family world. I wasn't great at it, uh, but it, it's really leads, right? If you're doing 15 to 20 deals a month, you got to be generating, you know, 10 X that and leads. Yeah. Uh, so what's, what's kind of the secret sauce there? When we initially started, we were doing some, in, in the acquisition side, we hired a couple of virtual assistants uh, and we have virtual assistants working for us full-time now. I just like to call them employees because they, I, I think they're a part of my team. Um, and so- Yeah, and I was just gonna say that. It, it, you yeah. know, that it, it, putting the teams together is key. So whether it's realtors, whether it's VAs or something, right? So mm -hmm. I really like that you said that. Dante and I actually talked about it on our meetup last night, that the, oh, cool. this whole thing, whatever your real estate edge is, uh, that's, I love it. That's exactly what you're doing is you're putting together teams, you have a process, 
and you guys are doing it in wholesaling. So sorry to interrupt, but I just, I think that's so important. So yeah, the only reason why we're able to do this kind of volume is because we scaled up our team. And so obviously initially, you know, we didn't have the team that we currently have now. Um, but we started off hiring maybe like six or seven virtual assistants in the beginning, just to test them out and see how it goes with cold calling. And then out of those uh, people, we usually see like one or two that are really, really good and are consistently getting deals. Actually, one of them is still full time with us to this day. Um, and so that's been great. Now we have a group of about nine acquisition people um, doing all kinds of things, cold calling and um, texting, postcards, you name it. And it, once you get to this volume, you just have to do all these things because one day cold calling might work better. And then one day texting might work better. You really don't know. So it's, it's just making sure that you have some diversification in the acquisition process. And so that way you can get consistent leads. And then now we have a team of four um, in the transaction side. So whenever someone gets something under contract, it gets put into the transactions and then they'll go ahead and take care of that too. So we have about 15 to 16 people working with us full time now. Um, and to answer your question, when we first started, uh, the leads that we got were a little bit more filtered and targeted. So they were like pre-foreclosures, uh, maybe absentee owners because, you know, the property's vacant, they're somewhere else, they're more likely to want to sell the property. And so we narrowed those lists down and we also bought only in the areas that our investors were buying. And so that way we knew, hey, if we got this property, we can go ahead and sell it for sure. So that's how we initially started, but now we've gotten to a point where the list is super broad. Like we don't really filter it at all just because of the volume that we're doing. And so we just pretty much filter them while on the phone call. Like if someone picks up, that's what we'll go ahead and ask some questions and then kind of narrow it down from there. But before that, um, we did try to pick the lowest hanging fruit so that we'll get properties in the contract quicker. Where are you guys currently sourcing your virtual assistants from? Is there a certain website or program that you guys are partnered with or where are you guys? Cause I get this question all the time. It's like, Hey, I want to hire a virtual assistant, but I don't know where is a good reputable program that I can find one. Where's that for you guys? So initially when we started, we went through Upwork. That's the first place that we went to, to find virtual assistants. Uh, we also worked with, uh, I think it was called like virtual assistants.ph. Um, and so like they're all based in the Philippines and then you can find a lot of virtual assistants. They're very, very good as well. Very good people. Um, you just have to go through a lot of, you know, vetting to find the right person. Right. And even but, some training too. Exactly. Now we have partnered with a company and if I give them like a week or two notice, they'll have a bunch of people, they'll vet them for us and then they'll go ahead and find the virtual assistants for us. And then they become a part of our team and our employee at that point. So we have that in place now, but honestly, when you're starting out, you can always go to Upwork. I mean, again, the very first person that I've hired was from Upwork and he's still with us to this day. So that's good. Yeah. I like that. Now let's talk about that lead generation process a little bit. There are so many different ways today and people are getting really creative with how they're bringing in lead flow for their real estate company. Um, I guess list all the ways you guys are bringing in lead flow or have, and then talk to us about maybe the top one, two, or three lead flows uh, that you find attract the most active leads for you guys. 
Yeah. So I think cold calling and texting, it just can't be beat. It's always the best for us. Uh, postcards are good. I know people get good responses on them, but it takes a long time. It, it most likely takes anywhere between like six to 12 months to actually even start getting results because you have to send like seven postcards to that same person before they actually reach out to you. Like I get postcards every day and I just toss them out, you know, <laughs> but right. Building that brand recognition is why you need seven touches there. Exactly. But then I know that company that actually sends me that postcard and I'm like, okay, if I ever need to go sell my property, I'll go with this guy because he's so, um, they, they keep sending me postcards. <laughs> so it just gets stuck in my head. So I think it needs to be a long-term play there, but if you're looking to get something in the short term, uh, texting and cold calling has worked really, really well for us. I also ran a digital, digital marketing company previously. And so I'm quite well versed with Facebook ads and Google ads and all that. So we do run some Facebook ads time to time, but they are really, really expensive. So I still prefer cold calling texting. Doesn't mean that we don't do those things, but it is a little bit more expensive than, you know, buying a list, skip tracing them and then calling them or texting them. Yeah. Okay. It, so, sorry. Go ahead, Dante. Yeah, so I was just going to say, so with the, the cold calling, with the texting, give us an idea of what that script looks like. Because I can't imagine you're just going to shoot them a text and say, we'll buy your house for cash right now. Maybe you started out with something else. What is the script that you're giving your virtual assistants to say to people? Yeah, it's pretty much we just go ahead and say, hey, uh, we're interested in your property at this address. Uh, we have, we're, we're local investors or we work with local investors in the area to purchase some properties. Are you interested in selling your home? That's our opening line. And you'll get like one of five responses. That's kind of what we narrowed it down to. <laughs> it's either yes or like get the hell out of my face. <laughs> Never call me again. No, or call me later. So like it's one of those usually. And we kind of try to filter them that way. If they, if they say never call me or never text me again, we just mark them. Um, we never follow up with them again. We want to respect that. And so, and obviously um, people crack down or the government cracks down on people who are, you know, cold calling a lot. And if they say no, and if you keep contacting them, you have a higher risk of running into that problem. Also like with the DNC list and whatnot, we also try to scrub against that so that we're not calling the people who don't want to be called. Um, so we try to respect all of those boundaries, but still reach out to people who might still be interested in selling, selling their home, but they don't know how to. Yeah, so just to clarify, when you guys are doing your texting, uh, that's based strictly on geographic location, doesn't have anything to do with foreclosures, anything else. You're basically targeting an area. Yep. At this okay. point, we are. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. And the reason why we like to have like different um, avenues and acquisitions too, because texting, it's also getting a little bit um, tougher for everyone. I think it's going to become a higher barrier of entry because with the 10 DLC thing coming out and the carriers kind of cracking down on people texting or mass texting, uh, it's going to get tougher and tougher. And so we want to make sure that we're diversifying so that if, if for any reason texting goes out the window, we have something else that we can go ahead and rely on. And is it the same thing with your cold calling, uh, more of a geographical approach now that you're at versus these targeted lists? That's exactly right. Okay, gotcha. So, and then what you've also done, it sounds like, is as you've 
you guys have evolved. It's you said a year and nine months, I believe, if I heard you correctly. Yeah. Uh, you've made some connections with investors in these local areas, and now you're kind of dialing the whole thing in where you're targeting areas where you know you have investors to sell to, and that's really kind of the secret sauce for you guys. Yeah, our relationships with our investors is probably one of the most important thing. I, I cherish that relationship so much because. I think everyone in the real estate industry knows people who do many deals or people who are really active in the industry. It's actually a smaller circle than we all think. It's like, Hey, I know that person or I, Hey, like I know that investor, he buys this here. And so it's a really tight community. Once you get to know it really initially, I thought, Hey, it's a vast majority, you know, it's a wide uh, group, but really it becomes like a closer and closer circle. Once you get to like a high volume number of deals uh, that people are doing. And so for me, a lot of our investors too are in California or they're in expensive areas like New York, Chicago, right? Because they can't invest in that area just because it's so expensive. And so they want to come to us to find a deal to then invest in the Midwest. And so that's why we like to do a little bit, things a little bit differently than other wholesalers. So uh, what we do is we introduce our investors to property management companies, insurance companies, lenders even, and we have a list of contractors that we can kind of introduce as well. We always ask our investors to do their own due diligence, but those are things that we can introduce to them so that they'll go ahead and have the boots on the ground to get things up and running. We also do inspections on the properties so that they'll have a full transparent view of the property. It's not like I'm saying, hey, this is a great property. They're actually seeing an inspection report by a third party inspector that we pay for. And then they can go ahead and take a look and say, okay, this is something I want to move forward with. And then obviously they take pictures and walk their videos as well. So it's like you don't actually have to be there to make a decision. It can all be made virtually. And so we want to make that virtual investment a lot more fun and easy for people. So that's kind of our main goal. Where are you guys pulling this investor database from? So you mentioned there's some local investors, but there's investors in high price tag area like San Francisco, New York, where they're coming in to buy in the Midwest there. How are you guys gathering their data? And so that way you're able to sell these deals because, you know, for those that don't understand, Wholesaling is just, you know, taking a property, putting it under contract for, let's say, 50000 assigning the contract to a buyer for 60000 You keep the difference. It's the traditional way. So these individuals that you're assigning the contract to, these investors, where are you finding them, where you're gathering their info, and, and how do you uh, stay in contact with them? That's a great question. So I kind of have three buckets of investors that I think about. So one of the buckets is the retail investor, someone maybe who's new to real estate investing, maybe they have like one to five units. Um, and so those retail investors, they don't typically have a team. They might have maybe one or two uh, people working with them and they're looking for deals, maybe one every month or one every two months or so. So those are the kinds of people that we also cater to. Um, for those people, you can find a lot of them on like bigger pockets. You can find a lot of investors and uh, connected investors as well. That's how we found a few retail investors. And the second bucket that we look into is 
turnkey companies or fix and flip companies that turn around maybe 10 properties a month. And so those guys, it's more, you can't just like send them a property. Sometimes you can, uh, but it's more about the relationship building. And so we would have to go and I, I literally looked them up on Google, started cold calling them and said, hey, I have these deals for you. I know you bought a few properties in these zip codes and these areas. What's your buying criteria? Let me help you. And then from there, I would connect and get that information so that I can go ahead and send them the deals that they're looking for. The third bucket that I see is the big, big buyers. I call them whales because they have insane amounts of money and properties that they buy. So these are the hedge funds and institutional investors. So these guys don't care that we introduce them to property management. They don't care that we introduce them to, you know, lenders. They don't care about the inspection report most of the time. These guys buy 30, 50, 100 properties a month. Some of them that I've been, been in touch with, they have like 20,000 homes that they own. Um, and so these guys buy a lot of properties. And so that's really, really, really important to build a relationship with them. And uh, most of the time I'm on the phone with them, making sure that everything is good and that the deals that we are sending them really does fit their criteria so that, you know, they, they are more, more likely to come back to us. They really want to have someone that's transparent giving them the deals. And so I think that's where we have the edge a lot of times too, because we want people to come back and buy the second, third, fourth time with us. And Dante mentioned that you are signing the contracts. That is true, right? Versus double mm -hmm. close or something like that. Yep. So you must then, you mentioned this transparency. And one of the mm -hmm. things that was frustrating for me uh, in dealing with wholesalers mm -hmm. is that they really, in my eyes, provided inadequate information. Yeah. Like, you know, there's key things as a buyer I want to know. I, yeah. I would I would like them to provide me with the after repair value. Mm -hmm. They always give you know the purchase price, but I think it's also responsible for them, especially if it's a fix and flip, to uh, give you a summary of what their anticipated repairs are. Now I know I have to check it, but does your offering package do you include all that? What does a typical offering package of yours look like? Yeah, so we actually come up with the after repair value. We give three comps um, on average so that people can take a look at those and see if that's the after repair value that they agree with us on. Because obviously everyone comes up with a different after repair value at the end of the day, depending on the comps and everything. It's really hard to like accustom it to everyone, but we do our best to see like, hey, if you flip, you know, if you flip this property or if you fix it up this much, you're most likely going to get these, this amount of value because of the comps here. We also break down the financials for people who are looking to buy as a burr or maybe uh, just a buy and hold, uh, people who are going to cash purchase it or leverage, use financing. And so we have a financial sheet that breaks down all of those different strategies and they can go ahead and make an estimate or make uh make their own decision based on those financial outcomes. And we do again our best to go ahead and estimate those. And so for the repair estimate that you mentioned, when our inspector goes through the properties, he actually, the company that we work with, they're a tech company and they're also able to gather that inspection report from the inspector and they take it and they say, okay, 
the repair estimate's going to be this, 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 and this because of this material that was missing. It's going to cost this on average in that market. They add it all up, and we have a range of how much it might cost to rehab that uh, property. So that's what we put in. I don't come up with the repair estimates on my own. Um, if we haven't done the inspection, we just normally budget like 20 grand just to be conservative. Um, and it, it can be much less than that. It can be a little bit more than that. We don't know, but we just put a 20K estimate in the beginning. But once we do that inspection, we'll have a better understanding and a more accurate number. What are you guys doing as far, or what are you guys using as far as programs or softwares to organize all this data? Because you've got lists, you've got virtual assistants, you've got cold calling, you have to follow up and understand even the properties and your investors. So what are you guys using as far as like a database to collect all this info and keep track of all of it? The biggest thing that has allowed us to scale and kind of keep everything in check is our CRM. So we use Zoho CRM. It's took us a long time to actually build them out and we're still figuring out the best way to you know make things a little bit more smooth for everyone but at this point it has a lot of the system the processes built in so anytime we hire someone i mean we have the sops we recorded everything on how things work and so those people just watch those videos for like a week or two they get access to the crm and we do everything on there so it even for acquisitions when they have all the questions that you know they need to be asked and they get the answers from there they put that into our crm they have an offer that we can go ahead and submit to the seller uh, we have contracts being sent out from our crm we have uh, you know proof of funds also being kept in there and so there's a lot of things that we keep in our crm and that's what's really really helped us kind of kind of going back a step so we were talking about cold calling or texting where are you guys sourcing those lists from? So like we said, you're targeting geographic areas. You're not as much looking at like vacant or absentee owner or mm -hmm. X amount of equity. Where are you guys going to pull those lists from? And what do the costs look like? Initially, we started out with list source. And so those uh, lists, uh, they're really good, but you have to purchase them every single time and data changes, you know, a lot. And so we then moved on to PropStream and that's kind of where we get all of our lists from currently. And it's been great. We've been using them for months now and I, I think we're going to be using them for a long time. That's good. I mean, obviously reliable sources of information are huge. Mm -hmm. So now let, let's talk about uh, the big elephant in the room always is how much do you guys make? How much do you, it, it, you know, if you're going this far with investors, you got to leave some meat on the bone for them. Yeah. So just talk through, you know, and this is really coaching for people that want to get into the wholesale business and what they can expect or people mm -hmm. trying to buy from you. Uh, how transparent are you guys in terms of what you expect to make on a deal? Tell us mm -hmm. what you want to tell us about that. Sure. In the Midwest market, obviously the purchase prices are a little low. So in like California, I've heard crazy assignments, like people making hundred K assignments. That's not what we strive for in the Midwest. We want to do volume. <laughs> so for me, uh, we usually try to target a 10 K assignment. That's kind of what we look for. Uh, sometimes we've gotten like a 15 K assignment. I think we've got like a 20 K 29 K assignment, like a few months ago. Um, and then sometimes we get like a 5k assignment here, you know, 
um, every so often as well. So, but we strive for 10K. That's kind of like the average that we're looking at. Um, and for the- Right, big- so I'm, I'm gonna interrupt for a second because sure. I, I think that's you. you. You mentioned this spectrum of, mm-hmm. you know, assignments that you'll use and it's really deal specific, right? It is. It so is. in other words, your 29K assignment, I'm sure there was a lot more there for the investor Okay, and you guys said, hey, look, here's one we can you know, really benefit from because we bought this at a really good price. So I'm going to mm-hmm. take a little bit more from this, but still leaving some for the investor, I think is the key thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We always want to make sure the numbers work for the investor. And so it's quite funny because the people who do like 10 deals a month or the institutional investors, uh, a lot of times now, they don't even care what you really got it for. They're just like, this is my number. I can buy it. Whatever you make in between, that's what you make. And so it's really, really easy to work with uh, with investors like that because they understand that we have marketing costs too. It's not free that we're getting these things from. We have operating expenses, payroll, right? And so uh, for us, like each and every deal that we get under contract costs us anywhere from like $1,500 to $2,000. And so you know, we want to make sure that our deals get more than that so that we can stay afloat. <laughs> and so, and if, if we don't get those deals anymore and we go out of business, a lot of them are not going to get deal flow as well. So it's kind of counterintuitive for them to, you know, push us down um, and squeeze us for every last dollar. They rather get, you know, they rather make it a win-win situation and I rather make it a win-win situation for everyone as well. And so, with that mutual understanding, it makes it easy for us to be like, okay, let's work with your number. That works for us. We can go ahead and make a deal done. Let's get it closed cash quick. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, we always uh, try to, you know, for people that are looking to us to guide them, coach them through this stuff, you know, whether it be podcasts, meetups, what have you. Mm-hmm. And Dante and I even said it last night, y- you have to be big picture focused. So we got into hard money loans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you get, uh, how do I say tangled up or wrapped around the axle on fees and points and the amount of interest they charge and the mm-hmm. hoops you have to jump through at the end of the day, if it makes the deal work, who cares? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't care what they get. Uh, and, you know, I think the same thing with the wholesalers. So just a little investor advice right there that, you know, it, it really you'll work well with a wholesaler when you go into it as a partnership yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you guys are doing that. And I really appreciate the fact that you have this, you know, whole package that you're putting out. Cause I don't typically see that a lot of times it's just an email. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> email exactly with right. sketchy information. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and quite frankly, the credibility too, a lot of times <clears throat> they haven't done the homework like you guys have, where you've actually, you know, most of them will go see the property, but you're mm-hmm. saying you're taking photos, you're running through the comps and you're providing the comps mm-hmm. so that they can do this. Did you guys evolve that process over time? Uh, yeah. Or was it something you said, hey, we got into this, we knew we were going to do it right off the bat, or was it like, how can we get better continuous improvement? Is that how you arrived there? Yeah. So we didn't do that initially. We It came out of iteration. So when we first started, when we, got st- when we started getting the properties, we just sent out an email. I had a rental property back at that time. So I also knew how to run numbers a little bit. I was still learning how to, uh, but we got help from other investors to actually get that going um, and be like, Hey, is that number, does this seem, does this number seem accurate to you? Does the ARV seem accurate for you? And so we would bounce off 
ideas. And so I really appreciate that help from our investors. And then once we got into it, maybe like four or five, six months in, a lot of the people were like, hey, uh, do you have any inspection reports that we can see? Or do you know any inspectors that we can go ahead and send in? And a lot of the investors, they are like, they don't care spending three, $400 to you know, send in for an inspector. But what we realized quickly is that a lot of times, especially if the property is tenanted, we really have like one shot to go in and we can't have like eight investors saying, Hey, I want to schedule an inspector in for this time. And I want to say like, that's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we're like, we're going to do the inspection. We'll send it out to you all so that you guys all have the same inspection report. It's a third party inspector. I didn't touch it at all. And so we'll even cover those fees and then you can take a look at it and let me know what you think. So you don't actually have to go in and send anyone in. And a lot of people are like, oh yeah, that's, that's great. I don't have to pay anything and I get this report, perfect. And so it actually made our lives easier too because now with a lot of iBuyers coming up, they're buying properties, you know, sight unseen. They see the inspection report. They're like, I like it, I'm ready to move forward. And so it's made the process a lot easier for us. Um, and we want to continue iterating so that it's always going to be an easy process for our investors. What do terms look like for you guys in the contracts that you guys are putting together? So when you're putting a contract in with you know an assignment clause in there, what are you guys doing though for deposit? What are you doing for contingencies in case you can't find a buyer that wants the property or maybe you guys didn't hit the number right and you need to back out? And what does that table look like? And is the seller even aware that you guys are signing the contract or are they under the assumption that you guys are buying it or maybe they don't even understand? Yeah, so with the seller side or the acquisition side, to protect ourselves, we always put an inspection clause. So, you know, whatever it may be, seven, 14 days, 15 days uh, of inspection. So that's kind of what we want to find our investors. And that helps us from when we do go in the property and we see that it's in a much harsher condition than it was, then we can always back out and there's no risk to us at all, which I love about wholesaling. Um, and then on the investor side, what we do is for the contingencies that we put on, first we ask for an earnest money and we do ask for higher earnest money than I guess a lot of other wholesalers do. And that's because we like to build that partnership and trust with our investors. We didn't even have much, that big of an earnest money in the beginning, we were like, hey, a $500 earnest money would be more than sufficient. And we got burned enough times where we're like, yeah, that's not going to work for us. We lost money. We look horrible on the seller side because I want to make sure that we sell every single property that we get um, from the seller side. And we want to sell that. Like we're doing them a service too. It's not just for the investors. It's for the sellers. They're in a hard position. That's why they're wanting to sell the property. And so we want to do what's best for them to sell the property. I want to make sure that every single one of them are being sold. And so with the investor backing out on closing day and us only getting a $500 earnest money, we lost a lot of time, not just myself, but my team, we lost money there. And so we're like, okay, we need to up the earnest money. So if an investor and a lot of times I won't, I won't even sign the assignment contract until they go through the property, because if they need to, if they're buying on set, side unseen, then, you know, that's fine. 
but if they do need to go through the property, I tell them to go through first. And if it looks good, then we can go ahead and sign because I don't want them coming back to me saying, hey, uh, you know, I found this, this and this. I want a price reduction and I also don't want to do this. So that's kind of how we work it. And we ask for a $5,000 earnest money deposit. And so if the investors really, really add, like if they're, if they know that they're going to move forward with it, it's going to go towards the purchase of the property anyway at closing. So it shouldn't really be a big deal. And so a lot of the investors that we work with currently, they don't mind it. They're like, yeah, that's fine. 5,000. Like I'm going to buy it anyway. So that's the kind of relationship and partnerships that we want to build. Um, and so we've seen that we've gotten screwed over a lot less. Um, and something that we also do is get proof of funds as well from our investors. So then that way we know that they have the funds to close on the property because we had one time when an investor wanted to use hard money, but and they got pre-approved and we, everything. And we went to the closing table. And at the end of that closing date, they didn't have the fees to pay the hard money lender because they thought it was free. Like they thought the hard money lender was going to provide them with the entire cash and rehab and they didn't have to do anything. And I was details, like, yeah, people, not, details. Yeah, that's not how it works. <laughs> so we've been screwed over there and uh, we just didn't want that to happen again. Well, it sounds like you guys have a really good process in place to tackle everything and contingency plans. And it didn't happen day one. You guys built it over time. And that's something I, you know, I really want to stress upon the listeners is you're not going to get it right the first time, but you're going to build the systems, the processes, the teams to put in place to make everything run uh, functionally and well, which is huge. The sellers, out of curiosity, do they know what you're doing with the deal, or are they usually under the assumption that you're purchasing it themselves? Or they, you know, sometimes you explain it to them, and they may not even understand what you're talking about. They're like, okay, just you know, buy the property, get it sold, or whatever. Yeah, we we always tell them that we work with investing partners, and so they know that we're working with partners. And a lot of times, they're like, yeah, that's cool. Um, go ahead and work with those investing partners. And sometimes, like that's. That really helps us too, because when we go back to them, we're like, hey, um, you know, our financing partner wants to use this title company instead, or they want to use, you know, because some investors don't want to use the title company that we use. So that way we can go ahead and leverage that and say, hey, you know, this investing partner um, wants to go ahead and do this. And a lot of times they do cope with us and they work with us and they really don't mind. Uh, so that's what we tell them. Awesome. I like it. DJ, did you have any other questions for our guests? Did you want to head over to our next section of the show? Yeah, I think like a lot of our guests, I could sit here and and pick his brain for (laughs) the next few hours. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. And I I certainly appreciate always the integrity with which you guys are conducting your business, Mm -hmm. your team approach, uh, how you have that, that attitude and you set it yourself. Um, we're looking for win-win situations and, you know, it's, it's a little bit cliche, but at the same time, it's still true Mm -hmm. and it holds a lot of weight that if, if we can, uh, you know, keep in mind the the number of people that are going to touch this deal, the number of people that are affected by it. And we all have a responsibility to make sure that our industry as a whole, uh, that we're positively contributing to that solving problems for others. Uh, and at the same time, we are for-profit businesses and you guys have that big picture in mind. So great job, great stuff. I learned a lot and really appreciate having you on. No, thank you so much. Yeah. And I really appreciate you guys. But well, we have more for you. 
Okay. Oh, yes. You're, cool. you're not going anywhere yet. <laughs> right. First question we have for you is favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? This is the Curious Cues, by the way, which our audience is going oh, yes. to know. I yes, we to have say, to yeah. brand this thing, right? <laughs> uh, so a few questions we like to ask all of our guests, uh, kind of a fun section of the podcast. So go ahead, Dante, fire that question off again. Yep. First question of the Curious Cues is what is your favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? I mean, of course, you guys, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. When, when, I'm, not, when yeah. I'm not listening to you guys. Uh, you get to come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always listen to uh, Bigger Pockets. It's it's such a powerful podcast, I think. To this day, I still learn a lot from it. I know they have like Robert Kiyosaki in a recent podcast. Uh, yeah. And they break it down so easy. So like Brandon Turner, uh, David Green, they... I read their books as well. And, you know, when I'm driving or when I'm going to a soccer game and I have a 40 minute drive, I listen to them and I always, always take one or two things from each podcast. And I really recommend people to listen to it. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. I think a lot of people have got started on that and it's a, it's a good starting place. Favorite book you enjoy reading? I have a few, I think my favorite book of all time must be how to influence people and win friends. Uh, I don't know if I said the title complete right because um, I haven't read it in a while, but I still remember the key concepts of that book. And for me, that's one of the most, that's one of the best books I've ever read. It's not even real estate oh, yeah. related, um, but it's so powerful because in any industry, it's really about people. It's about building that relationship. And if you don't build that relationship, then you're really not going to go anywhere. So. Yeah, I completely agree. Great book. People should That's a great check book. that one out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? I think hiring was the toughest part for me. Um, I've never managed, uh, you know, 15 people. So hiring people and building the systems and processes around it so that people know how to conduct things in a certain way and really make it efficient for them so that the bottlenecks are not there and kind of removed for them. It's right. an ever going, ever ongoing thing. It's never going to be perfect. It's something that we always have to iterate because there's always something that we can do to make our employees times more efficient. And obviously we need to take care or take into account that, you know, they're people too. And so they need to have some time to, you know, rest a little bit, or we need to understand that, hey, if someone is going to be out for that day, another person is going to be able to cover it. How is that going to go? So those are really the things that was the toughest for me. Uh, anything real estate related, uh, I, I think that anything that has a problem, there's a solution to it. So if something comes up, I'm always ready to find a solution for it and pivot. And so uh, I'm always prepared for that. Um, but I think the toughest part in that journey was still the hiring. Oh yeah. I, I you know, I can't even imagine cause we're not at that point where we're hiring, you know, 15 employees, but hiring them, managing them, it's, it's a job in itself. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a, a big task to take on favorite non-real estate related hobbies. What do you like doing in your free time? I will 
I will be playing soccer 24 seven if I could. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm out there in matches every weekend. And you know, yesterday, last night I played as well. So you might see that on like Instagram stories sometimes. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> Sundays are like my soccer. I had four games Sunday and then I got pick up tomorrow night yeah. you know, with DJ and his son, big in soccer. Oh yeah, nice. and I, I got to tell you a story because uh, <laughs> it, I'll keep this brief, Dante. But I ruptured my Achilles uh, oh, in, no way. in my mid forties, uh, and I went to the doctor, and I was all distraught because I didn't think I was ever going to be able to play again. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Doc, will I ever be able to play soccer again? And he looked at me and he goes, Sure, I'd love to do the other one. <laughs> Oh man, that that was that was pretty much the end of my career. Uh, (laughs) I just enjoy watching other people play. (laughs) Yeah, that's unfortunate, but (laughs) brutally honest, hit me right in the face with it. Yeah, you can play. I'd love to do your other Achilles. Oh Oh, man. (laughs) And newbie advice. So, what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started in real estate or wholesaling, or they're already in the business and they're just trying to, you know, increase their production, their volume a little bit more? I would say, don't be scared to just take action. The way I learned, and I think the reason why I was able to go from like zero to where I'm now is because I wasn't really scared of failing. I knew I was gonna fail, I kind of expected that. And I kept continuing to take action and consistent action throughout the days and improved each and every day by maybe a percentage so i know a lot of people get like analysis paralysis and they're just analyzing deals they sometimes i feel like they know more than i do (laughs) but they haven't done a deal yet and you really don't know what you don't know so by doing a deal you'll start to see okay this is what i need to do next time okay i can improve on that okay for the next time i made this mistake i'm going to go improve on that and so you get better and better each time but you can't get better if you're just doing analysis and just analyzing things so i think the biggest thing is for people to take action and learn from their failures yeah that's that's huge and uh, I'll, i'll tell my my little story because i haven't told it in a few episodes for any new listeners so I had analysis paralysis years ago when I went to get started. I, you know, kept analyzing deals, but never pulled the trigger, never put in offers. And so uh, I had an individual who I knew I trusted and he had some property that he was selling. Some turnkey was in really good shape. And I was driving there and I was just like telling myself, I was like, listen, like no matter what condition this property is in, like you need to offer on it and you need to, you just need to buy it no matter what. And uh, we walked through the first unit up the back stairwell and through the second unit, never went in the basement, never went in the attic. And I was just like, all right, I'll take it. And I was just, I don't suggest that to anyone because that's not what you should do. You know, I didn't even do an inspection. I just said, I just want the building. I just, I need to get started. And from there forward, it snowballed into X amount of more transactions, just taking yeah. action. And Dante, I'm going to pile on that because our multifamily journey has been much like that. It, it, right. It's, you know, we, we certainly did our homework going in. But I think we both encouraged each other through the process. So, you know, the partnership aspect, I think, was key. But also, you know, we don't expect to be perfect going through the deal. What we do know is that the deal will work. It's a good deal. um, And that we can, we're smart enough to figure out the rest. Yep. 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 It's so important. Yeah. Like, just like you guys said, I think you do need to do your homework initially I, I wouldn't suggest going blindly in at all no just because you can get hit 
hard too if it oh, doesn't yeah. go well so i don't want anyone listening to this saying oh this guy said just go ahead and do it no like <laughs> do, do a little bit of homework uh understand that maybe 70 80 percent i would say that's more than enough if you understand 80 percent of something you can go ahead and take action yeah yeah and i think like you're saying that the deal analysis is certainly something you want to get down mm-hmm. uh but from there you know the, the nuances of you know lender terms and things like that yeah you know a lot of that stuff you'll figure out as you go so exactly. and having a good network and good partners exactly and you can always ask questions like i ask my lenders a million questions to this day i'm like hey if i do this is it okay like some some of the questions might be really stupid but i i don't care because i need that answer that's and right these people have been in the industry for you know decades and so they definitely know more like the inspectors i ask them questions all the time too and so i think that's how you can get better by learning from people who are smarter than you and who has done it more times than you have yeah i like it Well, thank you so much for coming on, taking the time to be a guest this week. If you could just leave the listeners real quick with some contact information, if they want to get in touch with you or just ask you questions about what you guys are doing, go ahead and plug that in right here. Awesome. So you guys can, I'm pretty active on TikTok and also Instagram. My handle is H-A-Y-A-N-T-O-O-O. And a lot of people are like, what the hell is that? But (laughs) for... I couldn't get Hayato Hori. I thought it was a pretty unique name, but I guess it's not. And so <laughs> I had to come up with my uh, nickname that I had in high school and uh, just put like two, three O's on there because that one still was taken. And so it's not the easiest handle, but if you can look me up there, I'm more than happy to help you guys. You know, feel free to message me. I try to go through all my messages as much as possible. And if you are looking for off-market deals in the Midwest, you can always go to rocketoffer.com slash invest and rocket offer is spelled without an e on the offer so o-f-f-r um, and we can go always go ahead and help you find your next real estate investment there awesome thank you so much for joining us this week and we'll be chatting with you soon awesome thank you guys so much for having me on your great podcast. stuff thank you thanks for listening we hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.